Welcome to Car Talk. I'm Eddie J. In with Ed, Scott, and from the states, Bud Brutman. How are you? How are you guys? Uh, welcome to the show, Bud. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Maddie. All good. It's weird doing this on a Tuesday morning in Australia. I know. Yeah, it's, nice. it's, it's, it's a bit of a different, a bit of a different experience. Um, Bud, thank you for thank you for jumping on all the way from the United States of America. Uh, obviously, Bud himself is a, uh, a producer of um, of TV shows. Been doing it for many years. But I, I won't I won't go through your whole your whole history because obviously we'll, we'll get to ask you a few questions. But thank you for joining the show, Bud. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I like I like I like Australia. I was down there before the whole world went went absolutely crazy. I was I was down in Australia. Uh, when, when you guys were actually on fire, I think it was in December. I put down yeah. there. Did you start those fires, Bud? And then did, did you take that? Uh, back no, to- no, I was, I, I, I was in dark. All <laughs> oh, right. I think I did. Yes, you guys were on fire. And now all the United States is on fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's a common theme here, bud. There's a very common theme. So you were you were down yes. in a, you, you were down uh, in Darwin early in the early in the year. Uh, sorry, late last year. What were you doing up in the, uh, down in Australia? Um, I was scouting for one of my shows. I went to an island uh, off of uh, called Tiwi Island, which is a little north of uh, yeah. of Darwin. Uh, beautiful place. We we stayed at the Kerry Packard's old casino that was on there in the, in the uh, right on the coast. And then we took a little puddle jumper plane over to, to Tiwi Island. I was going to do a, uh, you know, I have one of my shows called The Fixers and we go and we kind of build infrastructure for people in need. And there's obviously a lot of people on Tiwi Island and, and uh, a lot of uh, Aboriginal people on the Tiwi Island that, need, that are in need and need some help. So we were there kind of scouting for the location. It was, it was great. It was, a, it was definitely a, I was in Cambodia and then I flew to Malaysia and then Malaysia down, uh, hopped down to uh, Australia. Okay. Fantastic. But I really, it was really uh, smoky in Sydney. Sorry, bud, we lost you a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of having an issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've been losing you guys too. And I don't I have full strength, so I'm not sure why. Yeah, okay, yeah. you guys are back now. Yeah, all good. <laughs> it's Australian internet. What can I say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you, you speak about that, bud, because I was actually going into uh, Coffs Harbour, which is about a 45-minute flight north of Sydney, and we couldn't land during the bushfires, so we actually had to go back to Sydney. And when we got back to back to Sydney, I had to, to go back to Melbourne because um, the plane it was just that smoky; they couldn't see the tarmac. So it was the fires were full on, and they and the smoke just like hazed over pretty much half the country. It was it was insane. There was a really strong bushfire. Um, how's it over there with with yeah, your fires at, at the moment? Was is, are they are they still under still out of control, or are they kind of sorting themselves out, or? Well, I mean, the northern no, we're so we, northern California. We have a lot of uh, really, really bad fires. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a bunch in Southern California, and somehow you know it skips around. Uh, northern California, there is a bunch. There's also a bunch uh, in the Midwest, in the Wyoming, uh, Colorado region that are really, really burning. So yeah, it's it's bad. We have, we have a. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, the timber laws and, and the, the way that the winds are sometimes here. And, you know, we also have a lot of people intentionally setting fires. I know no one likes to talk about that, but that's, that's kind of what happens. You know, a lot of these get down and investigated and, and it turns out to be arson. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And more importantly, it's unfortunate for the animals. The environment takes a, a, a definitely a beating. But I always feel for the animals because there are, I mean, I remember we were down there, the koalas. My wife was like sending money for to save the koalas or so. I mean, I think they asked for like a billion or two billion animals that were, that were killed in the fires in Australia. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Which uh, is, yeah. 
yeah, it was. Uh, we're seeing videos here of like koalas, koalas walking down this like across the road on fire. You know, it was it was just ter- one of the most ter- terrifying and terrible things to ever see. Um, especially like with wildlife that's so innocent. You know, it's it's really it's 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 really sad. It's it's devastating, and it already makes an endangered species <laughs> even more endangered. So yeah, it really does suck. I wonder how many cars got good. Yeah, <laughs> many. Many. Not that they're, you know, you can't compare that to animals, but I, I, yeah, I wonder what the tally is of Mustangs or Jaguars or, or classic Mercs that got razored in those fires. You know, you'd hate to think. <laughs> the insurance companies. Oh, well, it's a lot. The... It's an interesting story. So there was a huge, two years ago, there was a huge fire in my community. <clears throat> um, we lost like 38 or 39 homes. And one thing when I was, I was up doing some hotspot work and doing some firefighting and doing, uh, doing stuff. And what I couldn't figure out it took me a bit, but I would roll up to a house and there's like an old Jaguar that was backed out of a driveway, but the house is gone. And then I would go to the next house and there's an old Mustang backed out in the middle of the street. And I'm like, who are these? What they it was the strangest thing. So then I found out that the firefighters couldn't save the house. So they would get into the cars, throw them a neutral and push him out in the middle of the street. Cause literally in my neighborhood, there was like, you know, 30 or 40 classic cars, just like cocked in the middle of the street and the houses are all burned down because the firefighters care the firefighters all like that thing burned down at least the, like my house is gone so the wife is pissed off because they're all of her belongings go but the guy's happy because you know the firefighters at least push the mustang out in the middle of the highway so that was good i like that i want those firefighters come to my house that's exactly what we need because the house can be rebuilt right unless but hold on there's an unless though unless you unless you have a beater that you're hoping that you're hoping that you can collect insurance money you've been working on and you hope the damn thing catches fire and these assholes roll it out in the middle of the street and then you're mad. Well, but between us, we have a, we have a few of those between us here. Yeah. Maddie, Maddie particularly. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be the insurance money be worth more than the car. So I'll be like, if they were saving my cars, I'd be like, no, 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 don't save the cars. Just leave them in there. Push it out. You, you got to put a note on it. Like, hey, this is a project car. Please do not save or something like that that you can take off later. Don't save me. <laughs> or just worth more burnt. It is. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It'll, I'll be like, I'll be like, you know, I'll, I'll be devastated. Like my whole, well, well, I've actually had a house fire myself, uh, but so like uh, I lost my house last year and um, cars were fine, but lost, lost everything in the house. And I'm like, if one of my like beta cars kind of was on fire, I wouldn't have cared as much, but when it's your whole house, you lose everything. It's, it's pretty devastating. So um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the most funnest uh, experience. Let's, let's, let, let's say that. Did that but, ugly uh, rug behind you, did that get burned up? Did that ugly no, thing behind you? That- it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. I'm actually in a different room today because I'm, I'm trying to, um, uh, the other rooms are a bit echoey and, and this is here. Yeah, weirdest kind of thing it's, it's like a, it looks like an alpaca just like a skinned alpaca <laughs> sitting behind you <laughs> it's, been, it's been cut open and just just put it by wall yeah, uh, just laid and stuck the wall for sound deadening it, well it works like, work it, 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 whatever works whatever works for uh for, for the podcast when we're not in the studio um how's yeah. the how's the coronavirus and all that stuff kind of there as well like are you guys managing well or um like what's 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 it like there i mean this year's just been insane uh we can't imagine for you guys there as well 
Uh, no, it's completely shitty. We're in California. So, you know, we have, we have the, the most virus, the most shutdown, the most, you know, panicking government on this side. It's, it's really bad. I mean, here's the thing, you know, I'm not one of these guys that are denying the virus. The virus is definitely real, obviously, and it's impacting a lot of people that are at risk. Um, you know, but I think there's obviously a, a, a massive overreaction to shutting the whole world down for eight and a half months. I mean, eventually, I'm the kind of guy that likes to move forward during stuff. And so eventually we have to figure out, okay, what, what are the rules? What is the process we have to, to do to keep everybody safe and keep the people at risk safe? And we need to move forward in life because we can't just sit at our house and barbecue all day long and pretend that like, you know, the world is not based around some kind of an economical flow. Um, it's, you know, it's impacted us. It's been, a, it's been a terrible year for everybody, technically. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. It's just, it's been it's been an absolute shit show to be honest. <laughs> um, but yep. but yeah, not not much you can do unfortunately at, at, at this point in time. So just have to wait. The worst, worst thing is being car guys. We can't really drive anywhere. You know, yeah. we've got all these cars sitting around that you can't be driven. It's so frustrating. Well, like um, the guys on my show know that. Uh, we're we're actually we're actually in a lockdown of a five k radius. We can't even leave our five k radius. So oh, shit. You guys can't go to Bali or anything like that. I was thinking about going to Bali because we were close. <laughs> <to the river. laughs> we, we can't even leave our suburbs at the moment until this this is over. So it's just a bit of a it's yeah it's it's shit. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I wanted to go look at some more beta cars to to buy, and they're out of my five k radius, so I'm not able to not able to go see them. But um, anyway. So, but I actually uh, started watching your shows as a, as a young kid. Um, I remember on discovery channel here in, in Australia, we had um, rides back in the early two thousands. Um, so that was probably the first time I got in contact with any of your shows uh, as, as a young kid back in, back in high school and, and, and watch that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously, moved on to... <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you kind of get into the industry and, and how did you, how did you find your way through, you know, through cars as well to, to really, to really show that, that, that love you, you obviously have for them um, into, into what you've got now? Well, it's interesting. So rides was one of the very, I mean, I've always been in the cars my whole life, right? We all, we grow up with dads and brothers and you grow up in the, and you grow up in the you know eighties and you kind of understand it. You don't understand that 10 years ago, these cars were brand new on the road and now there's kind of like 10 year old beaters, right? So we're all kind of lucky to just have these, I remember, you know, Mustangs and Camaros and Cudas all for sale for $700 and $400. Imagine if I could go back in time and buy them all. Um, but we're kind of lucky that we were kind of in the aftermath of the pony car world and all these cars are sitting around 10, 15 years old and we get to kind of have them as high school cars. Um, <clears throat> and then um, when I sold when I sold rides to TLC, really Discovery Channel at the time, uh, a very interesting thing happened is, you know, they Discovery Channel in the U.S. didn't believe in the show, right? Because like, uh, who's going to watch this car stuff? So I actually did a co-production with them. Then I was able to go to uh, France and go to MIP and MIPCOM, and I would sell the other territories one by one. So the guy who bought it for 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 you guys, uh, he was he worked for Kerry Packer directly. His name was Travis. He was a very really good friend of mine, an amazing guy. I've talked to him since. Um, but we would meet every year and I had like 20 or 30 of these meetings around the world. We'd all converge on, on this television market. And then they said, what do you have? And I go, I got this new series I sold on Discovery and I have foreign rights. And I would like show them a trailer on a VHS or some damn thing like that. We'd find <laughs> it. And then, and then we'd go out and drink our brains out, right? Because he's Australian. And I guess that's a, that's a thing you got to thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, I kept my shoes on. I didn't, I didn't do a shoey or anything like that. He did. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. 
He did a shoey. So, uh, yeah, he would buy a program. But it, was, it wasn't much money. That was the other thing. The Australian market didn't – it wasn't like a windfall for me at all. It would be like, okay, Australia is going to buy my show one hour for a few thousand dollars. But uh, consistently, as I started to build a market for my shows around, around, the, around the world, I would go to the English buyer and I would go to the, the German buyer and then TF1, the France buyer, and then sell some Japan and sell the video rights. I was able to kind of, at that time, the way television worked in the early 2000, I would blanket the world with a show. And I would raise enough money on those trips and damage my liver enough on those trips where I could <laughs> convalesce and still produce the show. So, you know, that's, that's how that show got out. I mean, the guy's name was Travis. I think he worked for TVZ, I believe. I think it was TVZ. Um, I think that's where it was <clears throat> in Australia and New Zealand. Because um, it, you know, it was that or Foxtel. I can't remember exactly what it was, but his name was Travis. He, he amazing guy. But yeah, we'd always buy my stuff. What do you got for me? I would show him. I got 20 more episodes. Okay, great. I'll buy them. Let's go up a beer. And that's exactly <laughs> how the <laughs> It really wasn't any more than that. And I did. I showed him like one episode. I don't think I ever showed him any more episodes. I didn't have to do show and tell. We were just we were just buddies. And he's like, "You got any more of those? Yep, got twenty more." And and you know, as we as you know, then you start getting fans and you start getting people. And then then Discovery's like, "Hey, this thing's really popular in Australia." Yeah, no shit. I told you it was going to be. So um, yeah, Rides was a very big program. And then I got overhauled on the tail of that, which was a very big, huge program. Um, and we definitely know because Chip and I've kind of been around the world together and um he's massively popular down there oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's huge here like one of our other panelists um uh adrian that comes on the show he's like a massive fan of chip Fu. so i, I think i think we've all like all of us have seen chip Fu's work at some point or another um and was just speaking before you just got on but uh scotty was like um saying that on on overhaul and he didn't he doesn't think there was like a terrible one terrible car did you scotty no the every single one that i looked at i'd want they're just done so perfectly. He's got such a great taste. Well, yeah, that that has that has a lot to do with casting. Sorry, Ed. That has a lot to do with casting. We we pick the right cars. Chip looked. There are a bunch of cars that I would show him, and he's like, "Hey, let's do this," because I always ever push him and challenge him. And I got tired of doing Camaros and Mustangs. And what about this? No, I don't want to do with those. And then, you know, my part of my job and torture was try to you know continuously push his brain to say let's do a van. Let's do a sixties van. What would you do? I mean, it's all these iconic things like, well, let's do an A100 or let's do this or um, kind of the last couple of seasons. We want to do a, uh, a, a tiger, uh, a sunbeam tiger. He's like, that would be cool. I've always wanted to do one of those. And so when I saw his reaction, then I had to go figure it out. I had to go figure out how to steal it. And then just like you as a fan, I want to see what he did with it. And you know, it's, yeah. he just doesn't misstep that often. I mean, it's amazing what he does with those cars. Yeah, yeah. Particularly because he's modifying everyone. Like I, I've seen bits of overhauling, but I said to Scotty before the show, "Oh, hang on, does does Chip Foos modify everything, or does he ever just do a stock restoration for someone?" Scotty's like, "No, nah, no, nah, they're all modified, but they're all just done beautifully." Yeah. Um, and the ones I glanced at online, I was like, "Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that." You know, it's it's and it's a very fine line between modifying something so the purists go, "Oh, yuck." Um, and the modified guys love it. You know, it's, it's, there's a tipping point there, I think. But he seems to balance that beautifully with the stuff he's done. Well, yeah, he, and it is, it's, it's maddening sometimes when you're trying to make TV because the, some, some of the modifications are so subtle. You're like, no one's going to notice, dude. You're like, oh, I'm going to take the windshield. I'm going to pull it back a quarter of an inch. Yippee. <laughs> and it all it makes all the difference in the world when you're looking at the car. But I'm like, how am I going to make a story about it? Like, you're just putting a quarter inch? Like, just either delete it or get rid of it or whatever, but don't do just a quarter inch really subtle stuff. But 
he does he, he does an amazing amount of thing with paint um and 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 really you know with a purist i'll give you an example like we we did the we did this porsche uh there's like a 62 60 61 62 porsche um and this thing was beat to shit molested it was molested molested like down to the bottom of the ocean molested Wow. And it was terrible. And he ended up putting a split window wagon in the back of it, uh, like a, like a 60s split window in the back of it. And we modified, slammed it down. Just really, and you know, a lot of the Porsche guys were upset about it, but the car was so beat to crap. I mean, we were always very careful of not taking a, an amazing numbers matching something and then turning it into it. We never really did that. And chip chip doesn't really restore anything. He makes it his own. Like if yeah. he, if, so I'll give you a little secret. Or just the tip in his mind. He always thinks about himself in the design room at the show, you know, at the, at the manufacturers, what would they do or what would he do if in 1967 Harley Earl came in and said, Hey, I need you to do this. And he would go, okay, so what would I do? This is like, they would build it. He builds cars. One of the, he's a, he's a very big trickster. I'll give you an example. Um, one year he made a night, it just wasn't for our show, it was for a, a client of his. He made a 1934 Mercury uh, two door coupe. And he did it as a storytelling, a 34 Mercury coupe. So he put it out there in the car show, and his favorite thing, we lean back there and then listen to the old guys tell some other old guys, like, oh, this is a Mercury from 1934. They made a two door coupe. Well, they didn't make one, right? His thought process was <laughs> if Mercury did make if it did make one, what it would it look, look like? Because Mercury was supposed to be. Yeah, a step above what, what Ford would do. Ford it was kind right. of a, a premium brand. And he would he would always do that. What would it be? And everybody would sit there, oh, the history of this car is unusual and it's this and that. It never existed. So he does he does <laughs> he's and that, mind that is the, the the absolute testament to what he does. You know, that's that nothing says it better than that. But I'm yeah. interested, just to hark back quickly onto your the making of the T V shows, it sounds like with rides and with overhauling, you made these shows like on a platter and then went to networks and said, Hey, I've got this. Are you, are you interested in tasting from my, my menu here? Um, as opposed to the other way around where they might come to you and say, Hey, discovery, like they're thinking about a show about cars. Um, you know, we want you to go away and make it. Does it, does it ever work that other way? Or is it always, you've got to make it first and, and offer it out there? No, it works in both ways. I mean, networks come to me all the time and say, Hey, we'd like to do this. And usually it's other networks. I'm, I happen to be the car guy, which is great. You know, um, I have networks come to me all the time. I'm doing a couple, I'm doing a really big TV show right now with WWE, the wrestling federation that's based around cars. Uh, yeah. A lot of clients come to me and say, Hey, we have an idea for a car show. Yeah. 80% of the time they're shit or there's some version <laughs> overall. And they're like, Oh, we're going to take a car and rebuild it. Well, I think I've already done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But for more often than not, you know, as, as a, you know, I, as an artist, you try to like recreate shows and make shows and do shows that are, that are, that are different. Right. So we are constantly pushing boundaries and trying to do different types of shows. I have a lot of really big, you know, shows that are coming out, got, got slowed down and screwed up by the coronavirus, but now we're kind of picking back up. Good. Good. I was going to ask about, um, hope you don't mind, Maddie. One that I don't know a whole lot about was the Baja series. I touched on it a few days ago, just doing some homework on YouTube, but I don't really know about that. I've, I've heard of a Baja bug, which is like a yeah. 1960s, 70s modified Volkswagen safari yep. off-road thing. And I'm assuming that that was a, um, a whole series of racing where those cars were prevalent. Is that what it is? 
it is what it is. What happened in, the, in 1967 was was the first Baja 1000, right? Um, and the Baja bug was part of it. They, you know, all these these Myers Manx and Baja bug and, and Steve McQueen made the boot. Um, we're all modified, and it's still a class that we have now. It's called Class Five, and there's Class Eleven. So I race, and now we produce a lot of stuff for ESPN, and I've done a couple of films on it. Um, but we still race. I was just there. Uh, what is today? I was there yesterday. We did uh, the Baja 500. Cool. Um, well, it's much like the Fink, right? You guys have the Fink down there. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Um, Desert Fink race or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you're really into it. So yeah, there's a there's a race <laughs> in Australia called the Fink. <laughs> it's it's manly man endurance racing. So uh, and we have there's a couple of really big Australian guys who come up here and race all the time. There's a Red Bull athlete who does it all the time. Uh, but yeah, the Baja Bug came was born out of that desert racing with the big fenders and the big tires and the clearance and you know the exhaust pointing up. But those classes still exist today. Those class, which is called Class Eleven, Class Five, they still run stock nineteen seventies, nineteen sixties bugs in the race at all times. But yeah, it's it's That's the really cool. most dangerous, longest point to point race in the world. Wow. So like I was um. I was obviously doing a bit of research as well. And you worked with the, did you work with SVT for, for the, for the Raptor, for the Raptor build? Or, or were you part of that? Like, you know, organizing like the Fox shocks it had and, and stuff like we, I mean, yeah, I was, I was interested to know what you, what you kind of did with that. Well, I was on the original SVT design and drive and, uh, and, and performance team for Ford. Um, they came to me in 2008 or yeah, late early in 2008 and said they were going to launch this vehicle. Uh, we flew to Michigan. They showed us the vehicle. Um, I started doing documenting and doing a film on it. I said, hey, guys, you guys are crazy. This is going to be groundbreaking. And really, it was an, is launching and building an, uh, a, an off-road capable vehicle. And what we ended up doing as a part of the race team is we were testing it, then we took it in, and we entered the Baja 1000 in 2008, and we finished. And that's really all we wanted to do, and all we had to do was finish with a stock truck. And that truck, same motor, same suspension, same everything, is the one that you can buy now. So we, we were on the, I was on the development team for the Baja, and it was amazing. It was scary as hell. It was amazing. But, you know, you look back at, you don't know, you look back and you're like, wait a minute, I, I raced the Raptor, the original Raptor. There was only one. I wrote the prototype Raptor, which is called the Raptor R 2008. Um, I raced that thing and drove it and tested it, and it was pretty amazing. It was involved with building of it. Um, yeah, it was, I was on the team. No, that, that's very cool. yeah that's insane it was interesting to see the difference between like for example um ford as a as a, as a big company can compare to like uh obviously designing and building a new car then compared to like let's say you know on overhaul and when you're when you're you've got chip Foose there who's helping you uh or, or was helping just use his mind to put whatever he wants to paper like there's a difference between like the bean counters kind of thing and and um and chip when when he can just go nuts or well no we i mean you have to deal with both sides i mean there were there the bean counters were there for sure the marketing guys were forward were there and the designers and you had engineers it was definitely a much bigger team right because you know they we were really worried about you know the powertrain and the off-road capability of it uh and then there was bruce who the guy who designed the raptor and the paint scheme of the raptor he was there than all the marketing guys but you know all my experience in, in building cars because we've built hundreds of cars that matters right because you're there you understand how these things work you understand how they put together you got to figure out certain things so a lot of that was easily translated and also at the time I, i've been racing baja for about five years at the time that, I, that ford approached me 
Um, I was racing for BF Goodrich, which is one of our big sponsors, one of my big sponsors. BF Goodrich is, you know, the, the, the greatest global tire brand. It's a part of, it's a Michelin company. I know they're big in Australia too. They, they oh, yeah. promote a lot of down there. BF Goodrich is amazing. And they were my race sponsor. They allowed me to go race and have fun and try to kill myself in the desert. And what's better than that? <laughs> If you see if you see nine out of ten four wheel drives down here, particularly you know four wheel drives that guys have um, you know two inch lift kit and bull bar and tow bar and snorkels and winches, nine out of ten they're running BF Goodrich tires, whether it's a mud terrain or an all terrain or a desert yep. terrain or whatever they are. But and the big white writing BF Goodrich around the side, it's a bit of a status symbol here. No, and they have different stickers now too. You can do different different patterns and different stickers. They came out with a new product called a tire sticker. You can change those too. But is it is a cool little status? And they the sidewalls have become so good on the new, uh, so so decorative and so kind of aggressive looking. It, it is it is a fashion statement. They're cool as shit. I have them on my truck now. <laughs> <laughs> now we should talk about your cars, uh, but we want to we want to hear about what was your first car? What do you got now? What was your favorite? What was the one you should never have sold? You know that little snippet of history. Um, I haven't sold any, <laughs> so <laughs> good. We like that. You like no, that? There might have been a 240Z that I've recently been thinking about that I sold. Maybe you know because they're coming back in a favor. A 240ZX that I had a long time ago, uh, but that one was fuel injected. Maybe, but that was like I don't know. But I have I have all my cars. Uh, my first car is fairly famous. It was in a couple books, and people are talking about. It. I have a '69 black, uh, a '69 Mach One Mustang that's black on black with a 4.6 mile motor that uh, my friends at Gear One built. So uh, it's called Blackened. You can look it up and it's ridiculous. Um, no. Yeah, I like, I like Mustangs a lot. Um, I, I just purchased one the other day from uh, a, a countryman of yours, which I won't talk about, but I bought one the other day. And <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I like, I like Mustangs. I was just going to say, how many cars are, are in the current Bud garage? If you had to name a number. Uh, 11. I'm counting 11. My, I'm in my garage. It's I, 11. Oh, good. <laughs> 11. Yeah, that's, that's not too bad. That's, that's reasonable, I think. You know, yeah. I was expecting maybe 40 or 50 or something crazy. No, yeah. You know, I'm in California. I really can't do 40 or 50, but it's, it's, uh, it, if, I, if I could keep internet here, I'll show you real quick. I can just peek, I'll peek around. Look, yeah. I'll show you. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, there's one. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, hello. I'm around the corner, and then you're kind of in a little bit of craziness. <laughs> that's a beautiful color on that mustang on the the greeny aqua color yep that that's the one i just got that's spectacular that is stunning and that, oh. that's a factory color too yeah 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 that's factory color yep that's an m code yeah. and there's a, there's a couple more over there oh well yeah. beautiful a little that's crazy that's uh, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit jealous <laughs> yeah yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just, just, just a little bit. Just, just. But you have a poster of an Eleanor, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah, I know. They're, I'm they're a cool. man too. I, I've almost had one. I almost got one. So yeah, that I haven't really, I haven't had the opportunity to get an Eleanor. We built a couple, but I haven't had an opportunity to get one yet. How yep. many Eleanors did they make? Was it five hundred? No. Who who said that? I don't I know. know. I just put it in my head five hundred. How many were there? Uh, well, there, there's thousands. I mean, there's three, there's three or four different com companies who make them. And then there's, there was a big lawsuit about five or 10 years ago where uh, the former owner decided she was going to sue everybody. There's a couple ones that are um, now officially licensed. Um, there was a huge lawsuit between Carol Shelby and Denise Halicki, uh, her husband uh, wrote the movie Gone in 60 Seconds, the original. The original, uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. then Chip actually worked 
on the design of the element to make you more pissed off, Scott. So he, he, there are photos of him working on the, the original, that, not the original element, the second version, the kind of gone in 60 second Nick Cage version. Yeah. Um, that he did a bunch of clay modeling um, on. Uh, but yeah, there's many companies who build those now. So there's, there's a lot, but they're still amazing and iconic looking. And then I remember I was with Carol Shelby and he was like, it's based off the, it's based off of his car. So he thought he owned it and there's no way he's going to get a license for it. Cause it's, it's supposed to be a Shelby GT 500. Um, yep. E. So he's like, you guys ripped my, my version off. So, but it, it's, it's a completely restyled and retooled car, uh, from, from the original. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, when you see the original GT 500s from back then, I mean, this version looks way different. Yeah. yeah. Way different. Yeah. Now, from memory, you guys had an episode of rides on, on the build for that? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 We did an episode of rides 2004. That's why I know so much about it. 2004, 2005, there happened to be a company in Texas uh, called unique performance and they were, they were building and they told me they had the license through Carol and they had a, they had a deal with, gone in 60 seconds whatever they were cranking out hundreds of these things i mean hundreds of them so yeah we did we did an episode we did up a lot we did 58 episodes so i thought that was a big hey, you know because i'm um i'm a big fan of mustangs and let's go do an episode on that yeah you know? so is that when they brought out um the super snake i think so you mean the uh the super snake yeah i think yeah i think the 725 horsepower one that was down there yeah yeah I mean, and, super, and super snake is a, a term that Carol Shelby coined, you know, with, with one of his Cobras back in the day was that, you know, twin turbocharged one that went for $5.5 million at uh, Barrett Jackson. That's real super snake. Whew. That's, That's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll get my checkbook. So I'll buy you one. Don't worry. I was just, uh, it, yes. It, it might bounce, but it, it'll be all right. Don't even um, want to think about it. Ton of, ton of coin, ton of coin. Yeah, there's one, there's one show, bud, that I need to ask about. Um, it's, I don't think it's to do with cars. I don't know anything about it, but it's called Living with Ed, which yes. is me. And I'm wondering, what the hell is that about? Did you make a show about me that I don't know about? Uh, Leah, living with the erectile dysfunction. Yes, yeah, I did. No. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it stands for? Are you serious? It was. Wait a minute. That's not as funny as it sounds. It was. So um, we did <laughs> We did a, uh, uh, it's very funny. So we did a show with Ed Begley Jr., which is very funny. I want to tell you about it because it kind of reminds me of most incredibly famous people who I deal with, right? Um, and so Ed Begley Jr. is an environmentalist, right? He's very, uh, climate change is a big environmentalist and I, it's very funny. So at the, the core of the show, someone, someone wrote the episode, or someone wrote the treatment and said, you got to meet these two, you got to meet these two. Now keep in mind for many years, 20, 30 years, Ed Begley is this big luminary about, about climate change or right? about saving the environment. He does it in a very cool, subtle way and does it actually through himself first. He makes all the changes, right? So this is a guy who, as part of the funny episode, will ride a bike for 30 minutes on a stand, generate enough power so he can make toast in the morning because he's figured out how many watts wow. how many watts it takes. So he'll get his exercise in the morning, generate enough power <laughs> into his battery array so he can make That's toast because he does It's very work. cool though for people to be able to see that, you know, what, what you need to do to get that. That's cool. Totally the opposite of all your hugely powerful muscle cars in your garage. But... No, no, see, I, I disagree with you. See, I think everybody should drive a Prius and save gas so I have more, right? So I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it balances out. But I'll go back to the living with that thing. So the living yeah. with that, the show was completely about this guy who rides his bike to make toast, walks everywhere he goes out, has an electric car, 
harnesses the solar, does his own vegetables, so he doesn't have a truck. And his wife didn't give a shit. His wife did not. <laughs> He's like, well, so she's, she's walking around putting on the hair dryer and, and microwaving everything and ruining it all. Which is always funny. It's like, you know, it's, it's always, and, and the, the, the funny thing about it is anybody you meet who's like into collecting or into this or passionate about something, to have their partner not even care. They're like, yeah, he does that environmental thing, whatever. Shut up and take out the garbage. It's so horrible, humiliating. Anyhow, so we, we, we created the show called Living With Ed. And then when we Googled it, it said Living With Ed. And the first thing that popped up is Living With Erectile Dysfunction, ED. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, so we had, to, we had to figure out how to, like, you know, optimize it. So it ended up the show was still called Living With Ed, and we got rid of the, uh, the erectile dysfunction. Uh, I, your, <laughs> your friends are not going to love you. Let that down, by the way. Just, oh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. They're going to call you ED from now on. ED. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's going to be funny, because what, what I'm going to call Ed after the show, I'll be like, so, Mr. Mr. Dysfunction, um, how <laughs> I should. And I'm the one that brought it up, you know? Yeah. I By the way, it was an amazing show, and it also goes to shows. I don't only do car shows. I mean, that was an anti-car show, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a good run for four or five seasons. He, uh, Ed Begley, is a great talent as an actor, and he's really passionate about it. I learned a lot from him about the environment. And, and listen, his environmental message is the one that we all should take away, which is, like, don't trash the earth. I'm, I'm all for not trashing the earth, right, for mm. sure, mm. you know? you want to get deeper into it and, and start pointing blame and being political about it. I hate all that shit, but mm. listen, I'm save the environment. Don't kill the animals. I'm all into that. Like, you know, I yeah. hate people who, you know, the stuff that's going on with the barrier reef and all the suntan lotion and how the barrier reef is being, I mean, all that is horrifying. We have to figure out how to, how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm all for it. And I'm, I'm always, I don't know how, how much scientific weight there is to this, but, you know, in terms of the argument of, okay, we, we should all be driving Priuses or Teslas versus, um, say, a brand new Tesla versus a, a car that already exists, like a secondhand classic like yours, but, you know, there's been the argument put out there many times that you're better off buying a secondhand car that uses a lot more petrol or gas um, as opposed to buying a new Tesla and the energy that's gone into producing that. So it's... It's kind of like if they, I imagine if they turned off the tap at all the car factories and said, right, that's it. You, you can't buy a new car. We just all have to make do. That's a lot better for the environment, even though they're spewing out more fumes. Yeah. It's like fucking Cuba, dude. We figured it out. You're 35 <laughs> years, 45 years in Cuba. You all driving the same cars. You learn how to fix them. You're not tearing yeah. up the world. All I, all I tell people is go in, go do a little bit of research and figure out what it takes to make a lithium battery. And you are going to be shocked, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is horrifying what, what goes into it. I mean, I know we want to, everybody does a lot of research to poo-poo one side or the other, but lithiums are pretty bad. And, I'm, and I know it, it's, it saves ozone gas and does the, all, the, all the other stuff. But yeah, it, the waste stream on a, uh, one of those vehicles is still yet to be determined, but I heard it's pretty bad too. So listen, yeah. I'll, I'll keep my classic cars and you're not taking them away from me and I'll, I'll that's have right. them. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. that, and that's the, the unseen side of it. You know, no one... No one sees that. They just see, oh wow, it puts out nothing but steam out the exhaust or whatever it might be on, you know, on a hydrogen car, and and, uh, and it's all about fuel consumption, fuel consumption. But there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. See, I remember watching an episode of Top Gear ages ago when um, they were like breaking down the Prius essentially, and they were like, the batteries get made here, they get shipped to here, they, it's all this massive fiasco just to get the car built uh, with the batteries and everything, and it's like you could have just bought a cheaper car uh, or a car that that, that was just you know, 
uh, standard combustion motor that doesn't really have any you know, other extras that that make that make more harm to the environment. And you kind of be better off in that in that way to the environment when when they they kind of they kind of spilling you with all this. It's environmental. It's environmental. It's environmental. But really, it's not. And when you when you look into it, it's it's a complete shit show. It, well, it's it's amazing. No, you're right. It's it's amazing that their their calculation for the carbon footprint and how they make you feel horrible about yourself and how they you know they they sneer at you when you we watch your V8 engine and how that logic for your carbon footprint doesn't apply to them. Right. So good. Do the same calculation on your car. Let's figure that out. Which is exactly what Matt just said. Like, let's if your carbon foot. Let's talk about carbon footprint. That was built in 1970. Like what? Do you, let's and it put, yeah, it puts out a little bit too smoke. I get it, but what is your carbon footprint right now? That you're switching cars and switching batteries, and where are all those batteries going to go in mm-hmm. five years? Exactly right. So, what's the next classic on your list, Bud? What do you? You've got that Mustang, the beautiful colored one. What's the next thing that's on the on the list to maybe buy? Uh, I got to buy a GTO Judge, sixty-eight, sixty-nine GTO Judges. I, I'm having my eye on a couple of them. I won't tell you which ones because I don't want to. No, no, no. That's fine. The I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I like Judges. They sixty-eight. Were they the big uh, orange ones? Uh, uh, well, orange was a color. Yeah, they they yeah. came in many colors. They had blues, blues, and purples and stuff like that. But yeah, they they had the big orange. But yeah, that that different color orange or red I oh think. yeah i'm looking at an orange one now on my phone that's that's like got the um yeah the flip headlights like a ford landau we got here yeah yeah, um, yeah that's so, a beautiful beautiful car that's an amazing car that's probably the next one in my collection i have to figure out how, where you go with that it's not that dissimilar to the um what's the like the road runner the dodge isn't it with the huge rear wing um they did like a 60s road runner maybe that was a that was uh, called a Superbird. You're calling about a yeah, Superbird. Super that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. It's well, a long, yeah. long Super B and Superbird. One was Plymouth, one was Dodge. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it was around it was around the same era. But um but no. that that car, let's do let me, let's do a segue, right? Ready for the segue? Yeah. So that car yeah. was made famous and designed by a guy named John DeLorean. And John DeLorean then oh. was a hot shit guy at GM and then he spurred off and did his own thing. And Which so we're well aware of that. <laughs> you're aware of that. So yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the middle of producing. I'll give you a little inside stuff. I am in the middle of producing a brand new, and you guys will see it in six months, but I'm a, a brand new, very large four-part series on the Back to the Future franchise and the DeLorean. We're in the middle of building a time machine right now. Fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. That sounds awesome. amazing. I was with the other day, I could show you a picture. Maybe, yeah, I was with the other day, uh, the original designer, a guy named Kevin Pike who is original builder and a guy named Danny Bobkin, who is the, the world leading historian for restore for time machines. Um, and <laughs> we sat there and we kind of figured out what we're going to do. And we've been, we're in the middle of building a, a really badass time machine for a discovery channel special. Oh, fantastic. When That's you say cool. you're building a time machine, you're building another DeLorean or just an, another time machine? No, a DeLorean. We're taking a DeLorean and turning yeah. it into a time machine. Oh, brilliant. So putting all the stuff in it that need, needed to go in it to make it into that. Yeah, you got a flux capacitor, you got to have all the stuff, yeah. the helicopter stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all the, all the, all the <laughs> Mr. Fusion. I have a Mr. Fusion. I can show you one. That's, I can bring. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's cool. fantastic. Because my friend uh, in Australia, his brother has a DeLorean. There's a handful getting around over here, and he bought it last year. So he's got a, a bog stock one. But after seeing your new show, he may, he may turn it back to a time machine. 
Yeah, you got to hold, tell them to hold on to it. Values are going to jump up, and we got some. I, I have some pretty big celebrities, and some cool stuff happen with the Delorean special. So hopefully, the the price of Deloreans are going to go up. Oh, good. I'll tell. Make sure I tell him that. <laughs> now here's, a quiz, here's a quiz question. If you every usually Matt does a quiz as part of this um, part of this podcast at the end. I don't know if he's doing it today, but um, one of the questions was a few weeks ago: How fast did the Delorean have to go before it could time travel in the movie? Well, I know the I know the answer, but I also give you a little more a little deeper into the question. It's eighty eight miles an hour is the answer, right? But the problem is that the speedometer only goes to eighty five. So how the fuck did he do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> so clearly true. in the movie you can clearly see it going to eighty eight. So well, because they had to, they had to switch. They had to put a new sticker over the top of it. But on on the if they stock DeLorean, you can go look at your friends. It goes to eighty five. That's wow. hilarious. Yeah, it's very funny. This is why we do this show. I learn shit like that. That's great. Speaking of celebrities, but like, who's been the most interesting person that you've worked with, like over over the journey uh, that that's been your really long career now? Um, like, I, I mean, I've seen you do things with Jay Leno, obviously Chip Foose. Uh, who did you, who who you found that's got, that's been the most interesting? Had probably the most interesting cars, um, and you know, how did you get in contact with those people? Well, obviously, Leno is the, is the most guy with the most interesting cars. He's got uh, hundreds and hundreds of cars. And we've, we've, we've built some cars together. We've built a, turn, a turbine power car, a jet car together. Um, we've, we've done a lot of TV. Him and I played, played around a lot. When he was, you know, at the, the peak of his, his popularity, the host of Tonight Show, we were playing a lot around and on Discovery Channel. Him and I got along well. So that was, he, he's an amazing you know, I think I think a lot of the people that I worked with on on the show, they've all been amazing. And Charlie Sheen and Johnny Depp, and um, as you guys know, Joe Rogan and I built a couple things together. Um, mm. And he's a, you know every everybody's mentor right now because he was a pioneer in the uh, podcast world. I mean, I remember him doing his podcast out of his the the front the front office of his house, you know, 15 years ago when he sat it up and he started just just barely doing it, um, not making much money by the way. It was a huge and you know. Overnight success, not really. He he decided to do that very early on. wasn't making much money, but he just kept on doing it. So, and now he's got the biggest podcast in the world. So he's he's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know who my favorite is. I mean, we we've worked with music celebrities and people. I just I like I just like people in general. You know, I'm I'm not starstruck by them. I just think they our common thread that we always have is just, is just we're car guys, right? We're interested in cars. We play with cars. We race cars. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, I don't know who the who the best of the best of them are. I don't know. And I think that when I was watching some of your stuff, you were talking in one interview about um, you know being able to tell a story out of it. People love stories, and you you've got to be able to extract that that story human element out of it. Is that right? You know, in anything you do, like this, I don't know. It's certainly what gets me in when I watch something, and there's a there's a human connection to a car. Um, like the overhauling series where, okay, it's someone's car. It's not just a car that you're doing for no one. It's someone's car that you're taking and then bringing back and representing it. That that has much more weight with me than just a shiny red car at the end of it sort of thing. Well, I mean, that's that's super intelligent um, for Ed, especially. Um, is that's <laughs> For erectile like. dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> yep, ED's got, a, ED's got a new name. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> you're, you're 100% right, is that the... It, People misconstrue, and it is a very intelligent observation, right? People misconstrue that we're, we do car guys. Like, we're car guys and we do car TV. We don't. We tell stories. And cars are this, this visceral – why cars are so amazing, especially when we're growing up, is 
they smell different. They sound different. They feel different. They're just cooler when you look at them and go by and your brother and you used to have memories. People build memories around these vehicles, right? Grandfather's car, your uncle's car, the coolest guy in school has a Camaro. We all build these memories around these, these amazing vehicles. And it's really the connective tissue of our youth and, 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 and memories. They're just, they're no different than, than songs, right? They, they evoke an emotion inside you. So what, what makes overhauling or any, any kind of, you know, car TV, and it has that connected motion, the emotional connection, like Ed said, that's what makes them. And then what, what was so great about overhauling is we're able to take that and exploit that we tell stories. It's not a car building. If you're just in the car building shows, you're going to have a blast because Chip is the greatest in the world. And we kind of lucked out that way. Then as a very complex television format, then we're telling a story. And then we're, and then some people didn't like that. Some people tuned in for the pranks. Um, and I can always tell, right. I can always tell, and this happens a lot when someone comes up to me, Ed will come up to me and go, Oh, I love that story about the boy scout. Um, you know, where the boy scout did this and he had couldn't connect with his dad. So that means that that, that part of this, the complex storytelling mechanism worked in one way with Ed. And most of the time I would go, I don't, I don't remember that. What car was it? And he'd go, Oh, is it it's a 67 Coronet? Oh, okay, good. I remember the 67. Yeah. Coronet. <laughs> right. He remembers that it was this father son story about a boy scout. And that happens all the time because people come up to you and go, I love the soldier, that car, that truck you did for the soldier. And I think we did like three or four trucks for soldiers. So I can't remember which one it was, but they connected with that, you know, who connected with the car side and go, Oh, I love that Mustang that had this and this and this motor. I'm like, mm. And you could ask them, who was it for? Don't remember. No idea. <laughs> yeah. But that means you could sit on the couch with your mom and your grandfather and your dad, and you could watch this program. And that's what was so shocking about happened in discovery channel, discovery channel, like, well, we threw this automotive thing on there, but then guess what? You know, we got a bigger audience and the females didn't walk away. It's because we were able to hook them with a story. Right? Yep. So it's a much wider uh, audience instantly, isn't it, with that? Yeah, that's why it's just not, it's just not a wrenching thing where I'm, you know, there are shows and you guys have them in Australia and they're on YouTube now. It's like, we're going to replace a motor and here's the motor and it's got wrench and there's two guys and they put a motor and it's, it's a how-to and they tell you all about it. That's not what this is. It's a very, what makes overhauling is the, is the, the complexity of the format, right? Is you hook them multiple ways. Yeah, I like it. So with overhauling, you always set up like a prank and you need to steal the car. Has that ever backfired on you or a story where it just didn't work or any problems? Well, there's always problems, but no, it never backfired on us. Um, we, uh, there, we, there's one pretty famous backfire, uh, technically, but no, we were very fortunate of 130, 140 episodes we did that we never, I mean, that was a hard part about, you know, the vigilance of it. So it never really backfired. One thing that happened, and I remember it very clearly, I could tell you her name, but I'm not going to, cause it'd be <laughs> too funny is I remember, um, you know, this is a uh, overhaul and to me was an exercise in like human development and, and the human and the human mind and human behavior, right? I had to predict what a person was going to want. And I had to predict how to, how to give that person what they want and carry them along. So we stole a Corvette one time. We did a home invasion robbery and stole the Corvette out of a garage uh, in Anaheim. And I'm a very clearly, and I set up, you know, uh, I had, Chris Jacobs and another guy is our, and, and yeah, Chris Jacob and Chip Foos were disguised because no one knew who Chip was at that time. So it was early on. <laughs> we're disguised as officers, right? So they had glasses, they had hats on, they're all dialed in. And I always remembered that I told my producer, who will re remain nameless, uh, make sure we have the business card with the name of the city, Anaheim Police Department, and then a certain number on it, have those printed. And we got to set 
and she didn't have them printed. She didn't bring them. I'm like, okay, where's the car? She goes like, you know, it's some bullshit excuse. Like, oh, the printer was out of ink or some bullshit like that. It was kind of like, oh. <laughs> so we were in big trouble, honestly, huge trouble. So this is the, and this is an episode, right? So we're in huge trouble and I knew it. I'm like, holy shit, we're in trouble. So she, she gets home, she calls the cops, we show up. And we're having a conversation with her and this is a bright lady. And she goes, well, do you have a, do you have a card? And, and Chris says, I'm with the auto force task force here in Fullerton. We're here. We're going to investigate this for you. Blah, 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 blah. And he, and she says, um, do you have a card? He goes, no, but I'll write my number down and you can call me anytime. So he writes his number down a little piece of paper. She looked at that piece of paper. And he says, okay, great. Let me go get you some information. She goes inside and she calls the cops. All right. <laughs> And we're sitting, we're, we're sitting in our hidden camera vehicles all around this thing and watch this happen. We're like, oh, shit, she's calling the cops. I know. Sure enough, the cops show up. So <laughs> the cops show up. And then we didn't panic. The main thing about life is don't panic. I'm in Chris's ear and I'm like, tell him this is a car show. So the, got, the cops show up. The legitimate real cops show up. <clears throat> and this wow. could go bad, right? So many ways. So <clears throat> the cops show up. Our two hosts, I said, go meet them, go meet them. So they walked down the block to meet these cops, like midway away from where the mark was, where the lady was still in the car. And, and this is all on camera. You should see this episode. It's, it's fascinating. It was 64 Corvette. So he goes, he goes, what's going on here? And I remember his guys very well. And he's like, well, you know, I'm Chris Jacobs. This is Chip Foose. We're doing a hidden camera prank show. We're going to steal this girl's car. We're going to rebuild it and give it back to her. It's all a prank. You need to vouch for us. And it's, it's all, all legit. And the cop looked at him and goes, you gotta be shitting me. You want me to vouch <laughs> you? And he goes, I promise you. And he's like, there's cameras over there. There's cameras over there. The husband's in on it. I promise you it's legit. And then we, then we didn't know what was going to go on. The actual cops walk our two cops over here and said, yeah, these guys are part of the auto force task force. They're with us. So you, any information you need, you give them. Cops got in the car and they drove away. <laughs> like, holy <laughs> shit. Woo. That just happened. So yeah, you know, if, Anytime that you involve humans, there's going to be mistakes, right? And anytime that you're rushing and you got people and you got other people working for us on disguises, but we, you know, there are, there are many episodes I wouldn't say we're proud of because we pushed the envelope many, many times. Just, I mean, we got so cocky about stealing people's cars. We were just, I mean, we did so much. We should have got shot a hundred times, but <laughs> I love it. Did you, what are your thoughts on Top Gear as a show? Obviously the original British show. But then there was a Top Gear Australia that wasn't very well received. What are your thoughts on that whole Top Gear model? Listen, I love Top Gear. I think it's great the way it was done in, in, in England, right? The BBC version, right? And I actually was trying to do Top Gear here in the United States. Um, the problem with the United States and doing the Top Gear version is you can't really borrow a car from Ford and shit on it and say it's the worst, biggest pile of shit you can can. And they have the irreverency of Jeremy Clarkson and all these other guys was so amazing. You, you want them to be honest. And they were always, I mean, Tesla was suing them because and they, they tried really hard when, when they, that first Tesla came out and it died and it didn't overcharge and, didn't <laughs> off, and then Elon Musk is going to sue them. But you, the, the networks don't want to take that kind of risk. So they wanted to water it down. I mean, a couple of friends of mine were, you know, Rutledge and, and Tanner were the, the, uh, the stars of the US one, but it's never going to be like the original. The original was so it was so good, and they still you still watch them. You know they did fun stuff with cars. They beat the shit out of cars. They had fun with cars, rally races, and they were allowed to be irreverent, right? We I mean 
when in the United States, the, the auto manufacturers are probably one of the top one or two advertisers and the networks don't want to piss them off. So if they have a new truck, they don't want to say, and don't buy that truck. It's a piece of shit. Um, that doesn't fly too well. So the meat is a lot different, um, you know, here than it is in the UK. So I think that's just one of those anomaly things that happens in, in, in television where you can get away with it there and it becomes iconic. And, you know, those guys, I think they're still doing it now on Amazon. What's it called? Grand Tour now? Yeah, yeah Grand Tour. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, it didn't have, you know, it's weird that they kind of disappeared. It didn't, Top Gear was still this thing and they, they thought they could recreate it with Grand Tour and they got a bunch of money to do it on Grand Tour and I'm sure they got their audience go over there too. But I can't really even say that I've watched Grand Tour, technically. Yeah, it's not, it's mm. not the same. Definitely not Definitely the same. Definitely the Top Gear Australia never, it never really took off. I just think there's not enough there's not enough meat here to get into it, particularly when we all got the British version. So it was, I like the concept of doing it, but it just kind of fizzled here. You know, it's like, well, not as good as the British one. No. And it really has to do with the pairing. Honestly, Jeremy Clarkson, those guys were genius. They were just good people. They were just, you can't, you can recreate those. Let's get a, let's get a straight guy. Let's get a driver. Let's get this. Like sometimes it has to do with, you know, you can get you can you can cast different people and they could they could all pretend they're the Beatles, but really they're the only one Beatles. You can play their songs, you can sound like them, you can dress like them, but something about the pairing and the chemistry of the people, and I think it has a lot to do. I don't think people people just really restricted that the concept is great. Let's do that all over the world. Versus the chemistry between those three guys were, was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like a, a food franchise where you just churn out the same hot dog and hey, it works everywhere. It's a little more complex. Yeah, a little more. It's it's funny that you guys both say that. It's it's you know it's it's hard to it's hard to replicate. You're right. It's hard to replicate. You know them three as as a thing, and I, I think the whole idea of oh, let's just try to do the same thing with in a different country and then just stick it to the people. People like I think originality, and if they if they connect with things, then they'll they'll keep watching it. I mean, this is probably why like I watched a lot of a lot of Overhaul and and, and shows like that because I, I I was I was enthralled with you know with the process from start to finish. I liked the whole story behind the car. I liked all that. There's a bit of difference between, between that and, you know, let's say uh, them, rec- them trying to be funny as this Jeremy Clarkson, James May and you know, Richard Hammond again, but in, in like a Australian version, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't work. So this is, this is my next question to you, bud, you know, for you, when, when you, when you're looking to do shows like that and you see, and you said earlier, you've had people come to you and ask, uh, you know, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about that? Does, does that play in your mind a lot as to like, what, what, what would sell this to the people? How would, how would I, how would I make this work? Yeah. You, you pay attention a little bit to the, to the marketplace. I mean, I do pay attention to the marketplace, but really uh, at the end of the day, we just want to create original content. I think, you know, it's, it's hard. The networks always want a version of like, Oh, it's, it's, it's top gear meets Anthony Bourdain and it's going to be amazing. They want you to pitch them like that. I, I prefer to do things that haven't been done before. I want to do things that are unique and different and, and that you can't put inside a box. Um, and that matters that, you know, that goes on. Overhaul has been on for 17 years, 16 years. It's the longest running automotive show. And it's been on for a long, long time. Hundreds of episodes. It keeps on, it gets canceled and it comes back. It's canceled, comes back. And that really has to do with the originality and the talent and the format. You can't recreate it. I mean, many people have tried. I've been pitched versions of Overhaul in 10 times. It's like, you know, instead of the stupid pranks, we're going to drag race at the end. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I don't really want to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we always try to do original stuff and we want to try to continue to do original stuff. That's good. Um, and you've, sorry, you've done a lot of, sorry, go man. No, there you go. I was just going to say, you've done a lot of, um, I was reading about the Navy stuff and that, you know, a lot of military style 
shows as well. How did that come about? Um, it was really early on in my career, but I, you know, I, I was training a lot of mixed martial arts, a lot of jujitsu, and I got in, involved with a bunch of SEAL team guys, um, training a lot of handguns and close quarter battle. And so I became friends with a bunch of, a bunch of video guys. We started making videos, training videos. And then I got, I met, uh, a, an admiral, um, who allowed me to get into the Pentagon. And then I got clearance to start filming on SEAL team. And then I, like a very, very cocky 28-year-old jackass went into History Channel and said, I have clearance to go to SEAL Team, and uh, I'm going to go film it. Do you want to buy it? And they bought it. You know, because, oh. you know, access for me is, is the key. You know, uh, trying to, <clears throat> you know, I always, I always base everything I have to do on access. If I have access to Pentagon and Warcom and SEAL Team, I have it. Here's a letter. And they were like, get me a letter. Like, All right, I'll get you a letter from the Pentagon. Here's a, here's a letter from Warcom. We're gonna, we have access to go film down to the SEAL team. And it was one of the best times of my life. I wrote three books based off my experience down at the SEAL team. Um, wow. Went on to the six or seven more special ops, you know, and I have, I have a, a big respect for our military and, and police. I mean, I still, I still connect with a lot of them today. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, a, and a whole world that, that people just don't know, you know, you'd, you'd never, you'd never normally see that. I mean, you can go to a, a car shop and see someone restoring a car. So you get elements of say overhauling if you want to go find it, but that world, the average blow just wouldn't know. Well, here's something funny about that. So at the time that I did my special, it was 1999 or 1998. Um, the history of the Navy SEALs was untold, right? Because how do you tell this? How do you tell the history of a black organization was stood up. Like who were the first people? Where were the, where did the money come from? Who got, where did the training manuals come from? How did you get all the curriculum? How did UDT get involved there in 1983? And how did you create buds? What was the origin of these people, right? And, and you just want to, it, it was really, you know, in, in comic book world, it was really called the origin story, right? What was the origin story of these, these, just these superhero like characters, which we call Navy SEALs. And we went back obviously to World War II, um, you know, to the D-Day invasion, um, which put part of the GAT assault teams. And a lot of those guys, a lot of the frogmen go back to the UDTs, which are part of the early GAT assault team, the NCDUs um, of the GAT assault teams of, of, of Normandy was really kind of the birth of special forces. Wow. So we had to unwrap all that and drag it forward. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now you wrote some books too, correct? Yeah, three of them. Yeah, yeah. I did that as a kind of a fuck you to my English teachers, just because I, I, have <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Did nice. You, did yeah. you have a dedication in the front to your English teachers? I dedicate this to Mrs. Johnson or whatever. <laughs> no, I, I really, I did think about that. I, I, I did write a Ford, which, it, by the way, I'm not a writer, so I had a writer on the book itself. Uh, you know, really, what, what it was is. You know, we, we interviewed, I overproduced the, the show that I did for the history of the Navy SEALs. We introduced like a hundred and, and I didn't, I understand now and I really kind of understood it then. We interviewed 180 um, SEAL team guys, UDT guys, Scouts and Raiders and NCU guys at the time. We, we, went, we spent a lot of time and money interviewing these guys, trying to get their history down. And we were only able to use about two hours of the footage and a bunch, you know, 60 or 70 interviews throughout the two hours. So I was sitting on all these interviews and these guys all told the stories. And here I am with, you know, Joe Martino, who landed at Normandy at 17 years old as a part of a GAT assault team. And we have just tons of sorts of stories. I had Red Dog Fane and who got, uh, was the first guy, stupid story about Red Dog Fane is uh, the early UDT guys wanted to see if it was possible 
um, as a way to, to infiltrate into a beachhead was to get into a, uh, a torpedo tube of a submarine and be shot out of the torpedo tube. And Red Dog Fame was the first guy who did it. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll try it. So he just gets his wetsuit on <laughs> and his eye right, firing the hole. Boom, there's this redhead guy come flying out of it. And he survived. <laughs> okay, good. That's a, you can survive that. Like, <laughs> yep, right on. He's like a, he's like a dog <laughs> in Russia during the space race. He's like, I don't know, I'll go. Um, wow. We had all these amazing stories. Um, so we decided to, and, and honestly, as a, as, a, as, a, as a guy who didn't pay much attention to school, um, and, and did got horrible marks in English. It was a, definitely an F you like, listen, you know, just, I don't know. You, you get a lot of scars when you grow up as irreverent as I did. And I just wanted to just check that off my box. I wrote three books, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you got two teachers right here. I'm one. And so is Maddie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that's our day jobs. We're actual, uh, we're actual, uh, well, I'm a high school teacher. Scott is a primary school teacher, which is elementary and <laughs> part of the world so but uh, just remember by the way so just remember the worst student who can't spell sits in the back and is taking apart the desk is gonna turn out to be just fine right <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to chastise him tell him he's a dumbass all the time he gets it he understands <laughs> he's just bored with the english language or he's dyslexic <laughs> or, or something like that he's not that bad of a dude yeah i think uh well we only graduated recently and i've been, I've been in the i've been teaching for a few years now but like um, I think when I, when I was at university studying to become a teacher, it, a lot of that was like the whole mindset shift to, to this now of like, uh, you know, the students that, that aren't as, you know, interested academically, you know, they've got other, they've got other traits and stuff and you, you should really try find that for them. Whereas before it'd be just like, oh, you suck, go just, just do what you want pretty much. So it, it's, it is, it is coming right around and you know, you're an example, bud now that you've, uh, you've done, you've done very well. So yeah, there's a, so Will Rogers said that there always has to be some college, their high school dropouts to give all the college kids jobs. So I, I kind of follow <laughs> that. If you, you start looking at the college and high school dropout billionaire list, right? Which I'm not part of, right? I, I, I read it and I, I, I admire and I expire, I aspire for that. But you know, it's interesting that teachers do get sometimes a bad rap. I, I kind of like in the medical profession, um, it's a reverse psychology that, you know, people that are driven have to use. If you, if a doctor looks at me and says, I'm not going to walk again, I'm like, F you, I'm going to walk again. When a teacher yells at me and tells me I'm going to be flipping burgers unless I get an A on their test, F you, I'm not going to flip burgers. I'm going to go do this. Not that flipping burgers is bad if that's what you want to do. But, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the best student. <laughs> no, that's all right. will die, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like what Matt said because really, honestly, the only teachers I remembered, right, were teachers that took the moment to, to find out what interests me, right? Mm. By the way, I couldn't read a book to save my life. You give me a car magazine, I'll read it to cover and cover in a half an hour, right? Doesn't matter. And by the way, it's still reading. I just didn't give a shit about Huck Finn or any of the other crap that I cared about. You wanted me to read popular hot riding? You want me to read hot rod from cover to cover and big words like transmission and then hydro flow and all this? I'm in. I'm reading that thing from, <laughs> I'm so interested, right? But I think it really, it takes a different type of teacher to understand that people learn differently or if they, if they have a disability or if they have, you know, some of these made up disabilities, ADHD and all these other stuff, or they're dyslexic or they got put behind for whatever reason, you know, how to engage with them, you know, in some way, what does interest you? What can you read? What can you do? Yeah, most yeah, definitely. Major question of it, it, so everyone's passionate about something. You know, some people multiple things, but there's something you've just got to tap into that, and it's it's often not part of the school syllabus. You know, that that's not people's passions, hundred percent. 
great. Yeah, I remember when I was in when I was in high school. Um, the teacher that made me become a teacher was like uh, he, he was actually my English teacher in year twelve, and I wasn't I wasn't very good at English through through throughout all throughout high school. And, still not. Um, still, shit. still not. Yeah, I'm I'm still shit. <laughs> that's I, why I, he doesn't teach it. <laughs> that's why I don't teach English. <laughs> um, but basically, um, you know, he was like trying to find me things that interested me for me to read and, and to talk about and, and topics that interested me, like when I had to do like an oral presentation on, on, on something, it was, you know, it was like, well, find out something that you're interested in and talk about it. Uh, whereas uh, other ones were like, you have to read, you know, uh, you know these, the Kite Runner or, or, or all these, all these random other books that we had to read. And I couldn't give two shits about them. So and like I'd, I'd get like probably ten pages in and be like, oh, this is a drag. I can't do it. Um, so you know, whereas I could talk about like you know, uh, car enthusiasts. You know, like I remember, I remember at the time we had to talk about um, topics in you know issues in 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 our in our state, and one was like the hooning that was happening. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna do my representation on this, and then I re I researched the shit out of it and did well. So yeah. it's um yeah, it, it it works it works in it it works in good ways when you find out um. When, when people can realize that and, and find other ways for you. So it's just, you know, you're, you're interested in you if you're properly motivated. I, I always tell the story that, you know, my wife has a hard time finding some, you know, some guy to come, you know, work on the house. I, I the air conditioner broke when I'm out. Right. So call an air conditioner. I don't know where to find one. Okay. But you can find a pair of shoes and have them FedEx from like Pakistan, be here in two days in a right shirt, right color. And magically, you know how to do that, but you can't Google air conditioning in our neighborhood and get a guy to come over. So it really has to do with proper motivation, right? She's not really properly motivated to do that. It's not, I don't know how to, it's like, I'm not really motivated to do that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm not talking shit about my wife. I'm just telling you. That's the <laughs> Uh, I mean, your your wife was part of the show over Holland. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, she, she. I think didn't she design one car as well? Like uh, on yeah, one she episode? designed a yeah, a, a sixty three uh, Comet, a sixty three Comet. There's, uh, I can tell you the backstory of that. Yeah, my wife is an amazing part of the show, which is another, and she's also an amazing woman, which is why I can't talk shit about her because I, I overbear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to talk shit about her. So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I'll give you some insight, right? <clears throat> um, nobody likes to hear this, but it's funny. So as you, uh, it, it's kind of like a band. I think overhauling our television as a cast is kind of like a band. My, my, my job as a band manager is, you know, keep the, the guitar player from killing the lead singer and, and get the lead singer from, you know, stop being an arrogant fuck and still appreciate that the, the drummer is a part of the band too. So you just got to manage the, the personalities, right? Yeah. So, it, it, the show was really successful um, and it was big and our, my host and my, and my lead designer <clears throat> were kind of at each other's throats. Right. And they were like, Chip was talking a little bit shit of how easy it is. All you guys got to do is read a couple lines and put on a mask and, 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 and prank someone and go home. So there was just, there was a shit talking. So I decided to flip the episodes. I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Chip, you're going to prank and do all the hosting gigs and you're going to tell everybody how easy that is. And, and Chris, AJ, you guys design each, each kid an episode to design a car. Okay, we're going to flip it. Ooh. And so that's really was the genesis of those two episodes. So now you get to see how easy it is. And they, and they, same thing with it. They studied, they, you know, they're sitting there with paint panels. Not so easy, is it, right? And then Chip's over there stumbling through lines and doing pranks. <laughs> and have to do, like, read off a teleprompter in miles and miles. And I did that selfishly. So these, these three people would shut the fuck up and still like understand, like respect what he does, respect what they do. It, it's not so hard. It turned out to be really good TV was another reason was kind of the fallout. But I'd like, if, 
I always am really good about taking the energy on, on set and just, and then turning it right. And it turned out to be great episodes. AJ was so incredibly touched and, and so proud of that car. It was really life changing for her. Um, I think Chip got a really healthy understanding respect for what it, what it's like to, you know, cause Chris and AJ are so good. You know, here's five pages of dialogue here, read this and read it. Okay, good. I'm ready to go. Go give me an update. It's like, Oh, and then you're going to try to regurgitate all that information. So it was, it was a great exercise, but yeah, AJ designed the car and so did, so did Chris. Fantastic. What's, um, so obviously you got this, uh, time machine, you know, uh, car show happening next. What, what else is on the horizon for you, uh, going forward after like, I mean, post COVID and post all this crap, what's, uh, what are we going to look for, forward to, uh, seeing, seeing your next, your next bit of work? Well, we're doing uh, we're doing Battle of the Builders. If you guys haven't seen Battle of the Builders yet, it's a show that I produced uh, for was on Discovery Channel for three for three or four seasons, and now it's on History Channel. I do it for SEMA. We do a SEMA Battle of the Builders. So we're doing that again this year, even though SEMA, which is our largest convention kind of car show, uh-huh. uh, got canceled. We were able to still take this property that we created seven years ago called Battle of the Builders, where all the greatest cars from that were built that year around the United States come and compete we're still going to do that episode so aj and tanner faust host that uh, we'll be doing we'll be posting a lot of live stuff and then that'll go on the history channel um on october 4th here in the states really on byu app one of my shows that we did for um for military uh veterans called alaska healing hearts um it's a show that we produce called fixers um, we end up building a, a kind of retreat island for for veterans up in Alaska. And that one, the sneak peek is on October 4th on BYU network. Um, there's also an app for that. I'm not sure it had, it'll probably get to you guys. I know I've got a couple foreign distributors distributing that one out. And, and then we do an whole entire season on October 21st. So it's a, it's a show called the fixers. And I, I mean, here's the thing. I forgot, I forgot who did it. I'm a little upset because I'm usually a little bit better about pulling out quotes out of my ass, but uh, <laughs> it, w- it was Shakespeare or someone like that, you know, the talk about, you know, the black plague of the 1600s or something like that, how some of the most, you know, the most creative things happened in that time. And I, you know, I, I, I took this, you know, this, this time that we had this five or six months of lockdown and we're hopefully coming out of it. And we really just started creating a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, time it's, it's a spend time with your family. Um, you're kind of locked down. And if you have any creative bone in your body, start writing it down, start building stuff. So we, me and a lot of other people, there's, there's a lot of good creative time because you know, mm-hmm. the only thing that I don't have is time. I have not enough time to develop stuff. And so when I'm sitting with my thoughts and the whole world is, you know, you're, you, you, there's no toilet paper in the United States and you can't <laughs> eat takeout and you're warming up tacos or something like that. You sit down with a pad of paper and you start cranking out ideas. And we did a lot of that during the, during the shutdown. So we have some, we have some big shows coming up for sure. Got going on, we're going on with that. Uh, when are we due to see possibly the show about the time machine? Is that, is that end of the year you were saying? Or, or that yeah, still happen? It'll, be, it'll be on discovery here in January. So, I mean, because discovery is global, it'll definitely hit you guys, you know, February, March, or maybe three years from now. I don't know what the delay is. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on when the delay is. I mean, but, but like the things with Discovery Channel, like I don't know if you guys got Discovery Turbo there as well. Like it's just like a car channel now. Like it's, uh, I think I think a lot of that's got to do with, you know, a lot of these people are realizing that that a lot of car shows are really really interesting, and and you know they're, 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 that's the reason probably why they have made the channel. I, I wasn't really sure as to how that happened. Um, did did you? Did I you can tell you. That? Yeah. Okay. 
did I hear about it? Uh, so I launched Discovery Channel or Discovery Turbo here in the United States. So John oh. Hendrick, yeah, John Hendrick and Andrew Hendrick, who are the two founders of the founder and his son, um, were really into cars, right? John Hendrick has an amazing collection, and Andrew's a race car driver <clears throat> and has a collection also. So they really wanted to get in cars. So on on Tuesday nights, what they decided to do is they took Tuesday nights on TLC, which is another version of Discovery Channel here. It's the Learning Channel. They said it, it was it was Discovery Turbo. So we launched Turbo Tuesday, and they launched it with rides and overhauling, right? Where the two two first programs that were put on the Turbo, the Turbo Block. Then they launched Turbo worldwide with obviously you know gas monkey and jesse james garage and all these other other shows right but yeah i i know what turbo is and we program for it and i actually would sell all my shows that's what i'm saying when when, when i would go to to france <clears throat> because discovery channel launched turbo all throughout the world they needed oh. programs and because i did a split deal which is called a co-production with discovery i was able to sell it to turbo around the world so yeah Tur I'm, I'm glad turbo exists still um it doesn't here in the states we we didn't we know Turbo got disbanded oddly here in the States right after like three or four years afterwards. Then they launched Velocity Channel, which is kind of like our version of Turbo. They should have kept it. And then now it's called Motor Trend TV here, which is still owned by Discovery Channel. Have you ever, Bud, watched much of um, Wheel of Dealers, the original, the UK um, duo? No, no, I know, I know Mike Brewer pretty well. I've, I've, I haven't really watched much of it. You know, it's, it's not my kind of show, but I've watched the format and I know it's really big and I know, you know, him and that, and Ed, the gigantic, who yeah. <laughs> he's not Ed China, that his name. He's not on there anymore. But they're great. I, I see him all the time. Yeah, we've we've watched a lot of that here because for a long time that we we didn't get much more than that. And so uh, yeah, I've uh, I've fed myself a lot of Wheel of Dealers over the years. It's um it's comical. It's a, it's a bit of a running joke on the show how we 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 say some of Mike Brewer's lines like like old out your end like you now he's saying, old out your end old out your end you just bought a thoroughbred. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he definitely, he definitely has got, I, I like, I like Brewer. He's, he's been really good. And you know, they have never really cool niche. You never know what's going to, never what's going to hit. Sometimes it's a simple show, like a flipping show like that one. So yeah, no, that one, that one, it's a great show. And I know Ed, uh, Mike and Ant are on, on it now. I'm not sure what's happening. It moved to California on. Yeah. On. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, um, three cars at least. Yeah. <laughs> That, yeah, the, I was about to say there'd be a lot, a lot more cars to choose from in terms of rust-free cars, and obviously in the UK they they get oh, hit with the rust. People are sick of welding in the UK, whereas in California it's like <laughs> okay, a bit of paint, bit of chrome, done, done, yes. sorted. Last one before we let you go. Favorite car that that you guys did on overhaul? I, I, I want to know what your favorite car was. Whew, 130 cars. Oh, I'm making you I, think I, that. <laughs> I would do that for, I'll, I'll say this for Scott. So we did, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this or you have to go watch it. We, we did, uh, we did an, uh, I'll tell you the story cause it's a great story. Uh, yeah. it's, it's an absolute amazing story. If you, if you haven't seen the episode now you have to go watch it. So, and it, it ties our entire, uh, other than the ED thing, it tires, our, takes our entire conversation and kind of wraps it <laughs> So I got contacted by uh, a guy named Morgan Luttrell. And Morgan Luttrell is a, was a, uh, a Navy SEAL. And his brother, Marcus Luttrell, was also a Navy SEAL, and they were twins. Um, if you don't know who Marcus Luttrell is, Marcus Luttrell was uh, pretty, well, still is, uh, was, was a SEAL team guy. And Mark Wahlberg made a movie about his life. Um, about how they did a uh, Operation Red Wing where his entire platoon got wiped out. He got kidnapped and was going to get beheaded, and then he got saved by an Afghani. 
So uh, it's, it's definitely an amazing, <clears throat> um, it's called Lone Survivor. Um, but so these, these kind of like super high end SEAL team guys, but here's the, here's the thing. So these two brothers, when they were like, you know, 15 years old, they're twins, identical twins, right? Six foot four, 240 pound twins from Texas, just jacked. And they're both ended up going being Navy SEALs. Well, when they were 15 years old, they made a bet. They said, okay, wait a minute. You know, we're identical twins. Same brain, same body, same mom, same dad, same environment, right? So they made a bet. And the bet was when they turn 40 years old, whoever is the least successful has to build the car of the most successful brother's dreams. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's definitely backwards. It should be whoever makes it buys the other guy. That's not yeah, how it yeah, yeah. yeah. That, Kick me that's, I'm down. Kick me. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, I'm the shitty twin brother, so please <laughs> – Force me, force me to, uh, uh, to go out and spend $100,000 on your dream car, asshole. That's, that's a great bet. Exactly right. Okay, but, but SEAL team guys, who they are, are incredibly resourceful. So when Morgan, Morgan sold the car, Scott, that they decided that they were going to build was an Eleanor, right? So their dream car was going to be an Eleanor. So whichever one of us, by the time we hit 40, is the least successful out of us two, the other the, – the broke brother has to somehow beg, borrow, and steal and build an Eleanor for the other one. This is all on the episode. So we get these guys together. So he went out, you know, to, to my dismay, which is fine. He went out and bought a, a Brookfield steel body. Uh, he bought a steel body and started having some work done on the shop. And he was going to figure out some way. It didn't matter. He was going to figure out a way to do it. So when I came along, um, Connections, Suits, and Connections, I started talking about it. And he's like, this is what we need to do. Like, okay, we'll do it. So I love the story. Um, I support the military. Uh, it would be obviously an honor for us to do a car for a, a guy, a hero like Marcus Luttrell. So let's do it. So we brought the car up there and, you know, Chip didn't really do an Eleanor. You'll see it. It's, it's, it's an amazing, I think it's 5828, I believe is a SEAL team designation. So uh, that's what the name of the car is. It was a 5828, I believe. I'm going to check that out real quick. Um, so we started in and we built the most amazing Eleanor looking car. It is spectacular, amazing motor, amazing design, had really cool scoops, you know, scoops on the hood, great suspension. Uh, we had a, we did like a, a hand calligraphy thing on the, on the box. And it's just, it was ridiculous. And we ended up pranking them. Um, we ended up pranking uh, Marcus and had him come out and do a book signing um, and it's always, you know, it's always nerve wracking when you're pranking a guy who's going to rip your face off or could kill you. Um, <laughs> but luckily I was in the van. Chris had to do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, that was probably one of my favorite cars, you know, being a Mustang fan, uh, 5820. Yeah, I think it's 5828, but it was a 5828 E Mustang, um, which is really the, the Navy designation for a special operator. Um, I hope I didn't get that wrong. I'm sure I did. Um, but but that was probably my favorite car. And you should watch the episode because the episode is, is, is amazing. That's cool. And did he like it? The guy that, that got gifted the Mustang, was he like all into it? Well, there's two parts of it is, is, you know, we were able to, is like, it, there was, there was like you, there was a you mother effort, your brother, his brother pulled it off. Morgan <laughs> was able to trick con some TV assholes into paying it to, to pay his debt. Right. <laughs> um, uh, which is, which is amazing. And, um, uh, you know, to tell you what an amazing person that guy is, uh, Marcus is I on a regular basis, 
on certain days and stuff like that. Um, Marcus Luttrell will email me and thank me for the car and it's amazing. And he does it regularly. He's like, I really appreciate what you did for me. This car is amazing. I really appreciate it. He doesn't have to do that stuff at all. No, great. Have, yeah. He's, he emails me direct and says, Hey, I, really, I can't believe you guys did this and I appreciate you guys. And you know, you know, God bless you and your family. And he's just a great dude. No, that's awesome. that shows, Yeah. That shows he's on board. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, so that's happy probably ending. happy ending. Yes. Happy ending. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really good to, to see stories like that because that, that that's what makes the the TV more um, it, it makes you hit home I, I suppose and 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 it makes people that uh, as you mentioned previously but that aren't necessarily inverted commas car car guys and girls um, you know say oh well they can relate to it and and, and you're right it, it makes for awesome TV so no that's what Ed said Ed said that we you know if if it has a storytelling. If the storytelling part of it is, is what hooks them, and you're right. I just realized before I said the words happy ending, but as ED, I, I don't know I don't know anything about happy ending. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a distant memory for you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, bud, thank you for jumping on the show today. I really, really, really appreciate it. Give yourself a plug. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I have a whole list. Yeah, you know, on our, our website is BCIITV, BCIITV.com. Facebook's BCI Productions, um, BCI Productions on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a YouTube under BCI Productions. And really, we use that as a, as a platform just to kind of promote our, our shows and promote what we're doing. So, you know, give us a like. Tell us what you like. Message us. We, we always respond. You know, we, there's a lot of really good stuff coming out for custom content makers and people who do that. I mean, we, I have a lot of fun. I'm very blessed in what we do. And, you know, just want to, you know, I like, I really enjoy a talking to you guys and kind of reaching out. And I have a lot of friends lately that have been, that are Australian. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys and I'll, I'll be back on when I, I'll have some big shows coming up. We'll, we'll jump back on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to have you on. So just, just let us know. And when we'll, uh, we'll always have you on, bud. So thank, thanks again for, for reaching out. Um, like and share our Facebook page is Car Talk TORQE with Matty J. If you missed any of our previous episodes, they're all up on Shout Engine, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasting app. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Check out our Teespring store. We've got some, we've got some t shirt designs on there as well. Just it's called Car Talk Store. Thank you, Bud, for coming on. Thanks, other thanks to Scotty uh, and uh, Ed uh, for. <laughs> I'm going to call him that. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> You were the catalyst, indeed. You did, you asked for it. Thanks, Maddie. We'll definitely have to get you back on. Uh, just keep us in the loop as to when you as to when you're ready, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. So, th- so thank you for reaching out. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. it was yeah. a thanks, guys. Thank you. Take Good care. Bye bye.